Support for this show is brought to you by Instill. Our friends at Instill really understand what it means to build and manage relationships in a holistic and human-first way. The platform's advanced UX design and real-time analytics, smooth donor management to make it easy for you to connect every supporter to the impact of your work. To learn more, head on over to www.instill.io backslash Mallory. There's something called the one in the 100, which is like if 100 people, 100 people love you and they're down with your fundraiser and one doesn't and one whatever hates you and starts writing stuff about you online, who are you going to focus on? The one. And so how do we make that either not focus on the one or make that time shorter and go out into the world and keep doing what we're doing, keep fundraising, keep showing up, keep writing when we're afraid we're going to, they're not going to like us. Welcome back to episode four of What the Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they fundraise. Today, I'm interviewing Jennifer Pasteloff. She's a writer, coach, and just all around amazing human being. You might know her primarily as the author of On Being Human or for her On Being Human retreats that she runs around the world. They blend yoga movement and writing, and she also coaches folks one-on-one and has a group coaching program called Shame Loss. I could go on and on, but I know that you're not here to listen to me. This conversation goes deep, and we talk about shame, scarcity, and our own relationship to both, and the tools we use with ourselves and with our clients to help us move through it all. This conversation is going to move you, inspire you, and hopefully change the way you think about what's available to you if you can break the bonds of the inner a-hole, as Jen calls it. I'm so excited to introduce you to one of my favorite humans. So here we go. All right. Welcome, everyone. I am so thrilled to be joined today by Jennifer Pasteloff. I am trying very hard not to completely fangirl out, (laughs) but she... Wait, are you going to show video at this too? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So they're going to get to see us. And I'm just so excited to be talking to you today. Your book on being human was a really a real life changer for me and something I recommend to fundraisers constantly. So I'm just I'm so honored that you're taking this time today. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here and to be doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Even though I just burn my tongue off on my third cup of coffee, I will survive. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, well, do what you need to do. I was joking with someone. There's today. nothing to do. That's the terrible thing about like biting your tongue or burning it. There's just I know. You just wait for it to yeah. heal. <laughs> well, if you need some breaks, you know, just okay. let me know. All right. <laughs> Thank you. So, Jen, I feel like I know you from following you and reading your books, but do you want to just give everyone a little what yeah, brings sure, you sure, to sure, this sure. moment? Yeah. Sure. So gosh, bios are always so awkward. Even before we started, I was like, are you going to read my bio? It's so old and weird. And, <laughs> and then I forget to tell people. So they read this, you know, whatever. But let's see. My name is Jen Pasteloff and I am a mom. My son just turned five. I am I'm known for my listening, even though I'm deaf without my hearing aids. So I'm not capital D deaf. I wasn't born deaf. It just progressively got worse and along with my tinnitus. So now I can't hear without them. 
I read lips. So as you can imagine, the pandemic masks were real. And I won't apologize for cursing, but I read lips and technology has been a bit easier for me during the uh, pandemic, in fact, because it streams right into my hearing aid. So yay for surprises, right? Letting yourself be surprised. I am a writer. I'm a writer. There, I just said it. And I work a lot with people and I'm a coach. I work a lot with people to quiet their inner a-hole and let go of BS stories. And one of mine is or was for a long time. I'm not a real writer. (laughs) So it was nice that I was able to just say, I'm a writer. I was a writer in college and then I got sidetracked and took a semester off before my senior year, which turned into forever. (laughs) And I got a summer job at a Hollywood cafe that turned into 14 years. And I was just, you know, really stuck. I was a poster child for misery and someone who hated their life and complained all the time. And I found my way out through yoga, through teaching yoga. And then I came back to my writing and I married the two combined with my, you know, wacky personality and sense of humor and listening skills. And I kind of created this thing that I do all around the world, these on being human workshops. And then I wrote the book and I'm a coach too. You know, I coach people to allow for all the humanness. You know, I think someone recently asked me, what is my superpower? What's your, she's like, what's your stick or your thing? And I think that's it really allowing for it all. So that's me, you know, I'm, I'm here sharing my journey. And I decided at some point I wouldn't hide any longer because of shame. So it's not that I tell everyone everything, not at all, but I don't hide because of shame. So whatever it is, you know, I am transparent and with a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. I love that. And when you say inner a-hole, right, you talk about that a lot. What is that for folks who are like, what is, how do I quiet that thing? Um, Inner is that voice that said, you're not a real writer. Mm. The inner a-hole is a voice that tells us we're not enough. It's scarcity mindset, you know, and what I used to think was that like years ago, I was like, I'm going to kill it. And I realized (laughs) through living, not, no, not at all. But what I could do is quiet it because I would think I had killed it and then I'd wake up and it was in bed with me again. Right. And I'm like, I kicked you out of bed and here you are again. So I thought, okay, I'll quiet it. And then a more recent sort of epiphany that I'll be going in my next book and that I'm doing with my clients is offer it compassion. And it's like, I see you, I hear you, I get you, and I don't need you anymore. So I'm not denying it. I'm not being mean to it. But I'm just like, I don't need you anymore. You know, the inner asshole is the voice that tells us we're not enough, or we should stay small or don't open your mouth or what will they think? It's perhaps the voice of an outer a-hole that we've, (laughs) that we adopted at some point and made our own, right? So Everyone has one, I believe. I mean, if they don't, I'd love to have dinner with them. So reach out to me, jenniferpastelaf.com. And, you know, I've gone through years of my life where it ran the show and it's a day-by-day practice, quieting it and, and not letting it be the boss of us. I love that. And I say something similar to my clients all the time. I'm like, just pass the mic. Who gave that I like voice? That. I like microphone? that. You know, you're just like, just pass the mic. Because I agree. I think I love that you said it like that, because I think one of the things when people try to, you know, whatever they call it, gremlin or the self-critic, and they're like, I'm going to get rid of it. And then when they don't, they feel like it's just another thing that they failed about. And the inner a-hole is real jerk about the fact that you haven't been able to get rid of mm-hmm. him too, right? Mm-hmm. And so just being like, look, you're in relationship with this thing. Sometimes it's going to be louder. Sometimes it's going to be quieter. When it's loud, when it got the microphone somehow, how do you just get it to say, I see you. You're there to protect. You're, you think you're trying to protect You me. think. That's you the key word. You think. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you think and I, I don't need it. you anymore. Exactly. And another thing I've been working on lately with myself and my coaching clients is finding the ridiculousness of it. So a lot of times, you know, I'll go, just say that out loud. Like how, you know, recently I had a friend die by suicide and it really, it really threw me and rattled me as, you know, as it of course would. And I started to move too quickly. I dropped my phone a couple of times. All these things essentially that cost me money and frustration and time. And a very quick place I can go to is, see, nothing ever works out for me. See? And, you know, there couldn't be anything farther from the truth. So just say that out loud and be with the ridiculousness of it. And I find that when we're able to bring levity into humor, into things, it is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the most helpful thing. Mm-hmm. I it's totally so agree. easy to take ourselves so seriously. Yeah. And I find my inner a-hole, it's all black and white, right? It's like, this thing is definitely the worst thing you could possibly do. And it's like life exists so much in the gray, right? And so I say to myself all the time, I'm like one of the ways you know it's that voice is there's no space for anything else. That's such a good point. I'm going to write that down. That is a really beautiful point. And, and space is where creativity lives. You know, we need space. And you're right. I think my husband's very black and white. It drives me bananas. He's so smart, way smarter than me. You know, like, babe, can you explain what's happening in the Middle East? You know, but like when it's just very black and white with things and it's just that is not the way anything is really. I mean, maybe there are, maybe there are some things in life, but, but as human beings, it's, we're nuanced. (laughs) Totally. And there's perspective and there's experience, you know, and, and all those things add up. I agree. It's like, there's very rarely such black and white, right and wrong, right? It's like, we determine right based on our lived experience, where we come from, how we were raised, our culture. And it's really easy to say, this is right. And that is wrong. But Things are complicated. And and I agree. I think that the beauty of the world is in the gray. Yeah, me too. So let's talk a little bit about one of the things I, I mean, I love so many of the things that you talk about and write about. But when I was reading on being human, the shame, the theme mm-hmm. of shame, and you know, you talk about shame loss a lot. And those that's one of your workshop series. Do you remember what was the first time you ever used the term shame loss? Oh, I know exactly when. It was only in the fall, and it wasn't even mine. One of my best friends, Chris Alvila Hubschman, in New Jersey, and we went to NYU together, but I, you know, I talk about shame all the time and losing shame, and she's one of these people who always has ideas. It's fascinating. And I'm like, wow, how do you come up with that stuff? Anyway, so we were on the phone, and I was I was not doing well. I was very depressed. My whole income went with COVID because everything, all my money was earned from in-person events, and you know, to segue into fundraising, that's one of the things I did was I used my platform, my Instagram, my social media to raise a lot of money to feed people and give them grocery carts. And then at some point I was like, okay, but what about my own family and my rent? Oh God. And so I had a couple of friends who sat me down who were like, we're going to help you figure this out because I had a blind spot. I couldn't see any possibility, right? Black and white. And my friend Chris said, what about shame loss? Like instead of weight loss. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Like, of course that's taken. And I'm sure. And I, and I looked and it was, I couldn't believe it. And I bought it right away on GoDaddy. And I was like, Chris, she goes, Jen, maybe I came up with the name, but this is what you've been doing. And he's like, all right, man, this is brilliant. I'm so grateful to her for that clever name, but it really is 
so much of my life has been spent feeling shame. And, you know, in the last many years, I talk about it a lot and I talk about losing it and putting it down. And so shame loss is a new thing. And um, it's it's exciting. It's exciting to see all these people coming together with this common intention, which is to put down shame, at least for today, <laughs> at least for today. Mm-hmm. And people come and they're dealing with shame in so many different aspects. You of name their it, life. you name yeah. it. And, yeah. and, and for many of us, it seems like, what? Like, for example, I used to have so much shame about my hearing loss. And I remember leading a private retreat or something. And this woman was just so confused by that. Why would you have shame by that? And I said, first of all, shame is not logical. <laughs> and, you know, so what we're feeling shame over in our body, someone else might not understand. And then there's like, you know, really big things, of course, like sexual assault, things that were not their fault. And, but it runs the gamut. Yeah. What happens when, you know, I think about shame with fundraising, right? So a lot of fundraisers feel a lot of shame when they're fundraising, which I also agree. What is the logic there, right? When you just said that, I'm like, yeah, what is the logic there? Why do fundraisers feel shame in fundraising? And then I think about, okay, what's a common experience for not just a fundraiser, but a public kind of display of the shame around fundraising. And I think about the ways that you know, canvassers, right, are standing on a street corner. Oh, that's a really good point. (laughs) Right. And like we cross the street ahead of or you pretend like we're on a phone call or we don't make eye contact. Yeah, that's what I do. I just said it. I mean, very once in a while I won't, but it's like, wow. And we do that. And we do that probably actually because of our own shame in the moment that we don't want to give or we don't want to have that conversation. And maybe we even feel like I do it too, right? I'm like, okay, why do I do that? Is it because I feel ashamed that I'm not going to give to them right then? Maybe. But what if I just said- No more. I mean, for me, wow, I'm going to be just, for me, it's just like, because most of the time it's like in front of Trader Joe's or wherever. Most of the time it's like, I I don't, I was going to say, I don't have the time and that's BS. I don't, I'm not willing to make the time right now. Yeah. And I don't want to. And the easier way is to lie and pretend I'm on the phone than be honest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's that? Why is that? Wow. Thanks a lot, Mallory. <laughs> um, I mean, this is what I'm wondering. I, you know? I think, okay, a couple of things are coming to me. One of them is we think it'll be a softer land. It won't hurt their feelings. You know, it's kinder. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the phone talking to my mom. My mom's in Texas and she's sick. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, then just saying, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to make the time to hear what you're canvassing. And the other one is people pleasing, but that's tricky because it's like, I don't know, like maybe people pleasing, but I really do think is we think it's going to be less hurtful somehow to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But I've been thinking about this and I'm like, okay, but what if we just said, what would the impact be if we just said something like, I'm not interested. That's not where my money goes. But thank you so much for what you're I, doing. I do that quite often, honestly. Yeah. And I think some of it, I mean, you're bringing up some really interesting things that I actually haven't given much conscious thought to. I do, you know, I do a lot of time just say, you know, I, I donate to here and, you know, and I listen and everything. But I think some of it too is a f- not is a not trusting is a fear of like oh these are scammers oh my god you know these like what 
There's a lot of mistrust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even maybe mistrust on the time it would take to listen to them, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes they're like, do you have a minute? And it's like, I know this is a 30 minute thing and it's not just about a minute. Yeah. Yeah. But I think about, okay, so how does that then lead to this sort of like overarching shame that we feel in this asking and saying no? Like, I feel like there is shame in saying no sometimes Mm -hmm. and there is shame in asking. And so then fundraising is this like, you're so right. The shame in saying no, too, is like, I'm a bad person and I'm, I should be doing this. And I, you know, you're right. And it's funny because when you said the shame around fundraising, because I wasn't thinking about in person, I was thinking online and I was thinking the way I do it. And I know you're going to talk with Simone Gordon, the Black Fairy Godmother, but, you know, I've got this fairly big platform, not huge by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, 90,000 people on Instagram who pay attention to what I say for whatever kooky reason. And a lot of times what I'll do is, you know, I'll either amplify one of Simone's posts or during the pandemic, I was like, all right, how my whole thing started with the raising money was I just did a post back in March 2020 saying, do you have enough food to eat? And it wasn't because I thought I'm going to be able to like buy everyone groceries. It's because I knew this community I've built and that I'm part of, they would step in and start taking, and it's exactly what happened. Then I realized, oh, I'm the hub. So people started sending me money to send out, and then the whole GoFundMe started. But point being, I was amplifying the needs of someone else, and then the people would either send money directly to them or to me, and I would give them a whatever, cash or buy them groceries or Amazon wish list. And so there wasn't so much shame in me because I wasn't asking for myself. But there is shame in like, oh, I can't keep asking. People are going to get annoyed. People are going to get irritated. Uh, What's it called? Donor burnout or, you know, and that's fair, right? If you ask every single day, eventually people are going to be like, stop asking. But I hadn't thought about that, really, the shame in that. Mm hmm. The truth is, you know, there's so many ways to be of service. You, Especially now with, with social media, you could be of service by by amplifying the post, by sharing it, by clicking like, by telling someone about it, by, you know, whatever it is. And maybe you share it and the next person donates. There's so many ways to, to keep it going. But no, it's not about like, come on now, only 10 of you have donated. <laughs> I, I mean, that's not my way. It just, and it won't be. Yeah, no, and I, I totally agree. And I'm thinking, but even your mindset is just so much more abundant than what I see a lot of the time with fundraisers, right? Where not even that they're nagging the person to give, like that they're like, where are the rest of you? But they're feeling like, oh, nobody was interested in my post. Like, because only that percentage of the people who followed me were invested. And what I love about watching you during COVID do that thing is it was just never about what was happening beyond how you were showing up. You just kept showing up and you're like, now I'm going to bring this person on to talk about this. Now I'm going to bring this person on. And I didn't see any type of where I feel like nonprofits can get really obsessed with, you know, what did everyone think about that thing that we did or the way that we said that thing, you know? thank God. I mean, first of all, I wasn't a nonprofit. I've been told one of my coaching clients, she's like, Jen, I wish I could be more like you and just leap. I think so much first. You just leap. And I thought, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. And I love it about myself. It's also sometimes gets me in trouble. But yeah, I just was like, ah. And I had a partner, one of my followers who became a friend, Dana Mondello and all these volunteers. But there was none of that because it was just like, first of all, we didn't know how long it was going to go on. It was like, let's just get some people some groceries. And then, you know, 150, what, however much we raised, you know, thousand dollars. But it's interesting too the abundance thing. I never, my, my friend Donovan Taylor Hall, this really amazing teacher I've been posting about who was just on the Today Show. 
I'm like, we're going to get you two grand. We're going to do a Zoom thing. I'm not going to take any money for it. You are. Let's do this. And I have no doubt. I am like a wizard at raising money. But the funny thing is when it comes to myself, that's where I'm like, okay, look at my scarcity mindset. But like with anyone else, like someone's like, you know, we need help with this. I'm like, I'm on it. You just watch. And they're like, Jen, we went above and beyond. But I tell the, I'm very transparent. I tell the truth. I use my humor, authenticity, and I don't sugarcoat anything. And it seems to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what you brought up is really interesting. So about the, when you transition to yourself, Because I remember seeing one of your first posts after you were fundraising where you were like, okay, you guys, I've been raising all this money, but now I need to focus on my business a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) And like, what did that feel like? And how I remember seeing, I don't remember exactly what you said, but I remember seeing something in what you said where I was, wow, does she feel nervous about this? Of course we should be supporting her. She has just fundraised so much money for all these other people. I I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm in so much right now also that I'm processing with about scarcity mentality and, you know, the way I was raised, having lost my dad at eight years old and watching my mom hustle and be in survival mode our whole life. And I, you know, when all my income went, when it was like, oh, the three retreats I had in Europe and the $10,000 speaking gigs and everything. And I was like, wah, wah. And I'm the breadwinner. And I was like, thank God I live in this tiny apartment. And I've lived it, you know, here for almost 20 years. And it's rent control. And we all share a bed. And like, but I just, yeah, I was in a real scared place. And it wasn't completely altruistic. I love being of service. And I loved what I did. And also, it was a distraction, right? It was like, I'm really good at this. And I'm going to keep doing this for everyone else. And then eventually, I was like, okay, now I really got to figure out what's good. Because I don't know when, I don't know when I when and if in-person things will ever come back. And it's funny, the confidence I have around getting money for other people is like, you can't touch it. Like, I literally am like, I am the queen of it. And then for myself, I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm working on it. Hey, look, you know what? I just bought a house. Everything shifted. Thank you. Within a year, like if you look at one year ago, this week even, it's like, I, it's unbelievable, the shifts. And I'd say the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful lessons in that is to remember that it's not what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you think you know for sure that just ain't so, you know, so, and that's not my quote. I think it might be Mark Twain, but it's like letting go of what you think you know for sure. And for me, it was like, oh, it's over. I had a good run. Well, you know, COVID was the quote unquote worst thing that happened to me. Now it was awful. Obviously COVID was awful, but for my career personally, but then it ended up being the best because I reinvented. And and I think just being able to marry my skills and chutzpah and all the stuff for fundraising and bringing that to my own life, because it, what I think it is, is the worthiness thing. The truth is, it's like, I don't get to have that. No, I could do it for everyone else. But I don't get to have that. And that's bullshit. Mm. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> just like, yes. I mean, I think, you know, what what we're talking about here, too, what I love about everything that you talk about is it's like both. Everything is like both. Yes. Sometimes I feel scarcity. Sometimes I feel abundance when I'm feeling scarcity. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to go there. I'm going to look at why that's showing up. Sometimes I'm not even going to be able to do that. And somebody else is going to have to call me out on it. Right. And it's like, that's okay too. 
And because it's the scarcity mindset, which is like, that's another area where I'm also doing a lot of work. I've been reading science research papers, don't even ask me, about what scarcity mindset does to decision-making. When we're in a scarce place, how does that impact how we make decisions? But for me, it's like scarcity mindset is always black and white, right? It's like the opposite of that, that quote you just said. Scarcity mindset is always like, it's not possible, right? And abundance mindset, I think people think about that as abundance mindset. Okay, well, if I feel scarcity, how am I ever going to feel abundance mindset? But to me, abundance mindset is a spectrum. It's just the gray, right? It's just like, oh, there might be possibility here. And then there is possibility here. And then what about this? You know, it's just the opening. Exactly. which I think is so the way you talk about it, like, and we're just talking about, it's like, yeah, like you can, everyone can access that. Even if it's for a moment, even if you do it, focusing on someone else to just get you there, just to pull you out of scarcity and then just stay there for a second and ask what might be possible for you, you know, what might be possible possible for you. I mean, the truth is too, this is, it's always so wild for me when I realized it. I'm around a lot of poverty and I have a lot of people I work with and just, you know, I I have a whole spectrum of socioeconomic folks in my orbit. It's amazing to me how much money there is, though. Like, there's just a ton of money. And I like to remember that a lot, especially when it's like, you know, how are we going to get this? And so, yeah, there's a ton of people that are hurting and need. And there's so many people with just so much money. They don't even know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. We have to just keep remembering that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That there is. There's so much out there. There is. There's just so yeah. much. I yeah. Mean, look, there are people. It's just it's mind blowing. There's people that like. I don't know. It's uh, it's incredible. So there's just a ton of money out there and it's energy and we we have to allow it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think there is a lot to be said for the a lot of times the reason people don't donate or help or whatever is simply because they don't know about it or they don't know how. So many times I cannot tell you almost every day people thank me. Thank you for this opportunity to help. Thank you for this opportunity to donate. Because they just didn't know. Mm-hmm. So it there's that. And then there's just the messaging and how. I'm not saying that you have to be clever and all these things. But there is something like if you're able, for example, these canvassers and stuff, it's hard. And most people don't stop and talk to them. But if somehow you're able to get people to listen to you and you're just yourself and you tell the truth, it's a lot easier to connect and get them to support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So people are going to think I fed this to you because my big mantra is that great fundraising is not an ask. It's an offer, right? It's about partnership. I know. I only know that because I lived it (laughs) and I watched it. It's just like so many people I know, people have a ton of money and they're like, I didn't ever know how to thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's an offer. Yeah. Yeah. It's an offer. It's an invitation. You know, it doesn't have to be this sort of gross, uncomfortable, guilt-ridden, pounding them, you know, like, where are you? Like you should, right. It's like, how do you show up? How do you give people an opportunity? How do you have the energy that people want to connect with? Cause that's the other thing you use the word energy. And that is my kind of underlying framework for everything. It's like, look, and not in some like woo woo way that people can't connect with. We all give off energy all the time. And when you are feeling that scarcity, when you're feeling black and white thinking, when you are feeling guilty about asking for money, the donor can feel it. Everyone can totally. feel it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 
first tea of Greater Akron needed to switch from an outdated donor management system to something more user-friendly. With Bloomerang, they found that and more. Executive Director Josh Smith commented, We love Bloomerang. It saved time. It's helped us raise more funds. By investing in a donor database that they actually loved using, First Tee of Greater Akron was able to raise more funds and continue creating lasting change in their community. To listen to the full interview with First Tee of Greater Akron, visit bloomerang.com backslash what the fundraising or click the link in the show notes. So how would you, if someone's like, all right, like I hear you guys, I like want to be in that space and in that energy and like showing up that way, but I really am feeling overwhelmed with the shame around because money triggers so much shame for reasons that we, you know, don't. So where do, where do you suggest people even Are you talking about specifically about people who want to fundraise or just humans in general? Yeah, just in general. Like if you can sort of see the North Star with who you want to be and how you want to show up, but shame is holding you back from becoming that person. Where do you start? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's really important to get to the root of it. I do, but I don't think that's everything. Uh, and the reason I don't think that's everything is, is my lived experience. So I've been able to, I've been really self-aware, even as an eight-year-old in therapy, they're like, you're just, wow. You know, when I was like dying of anorexia, I knew I was anorexic. I wasn't in denial. So, okay. And and I also, you know, really did understand it was the grief. And yet, and still, I was still doing it. So the why isn't always enough, right? It's the words I end my book. It's the now what. So, you know, one of the ways is really staying connected to your body and your body intelligence and really listening to your body, even if you're naming it like, okay, my heart's beating really fast right now. I'm getting hot. You start to name the things and then you have a a toolkit. So maybe it's like you drop into breathing in a specific way, three deep breaths. Maybe I start the day with what I call a body prayer, which is generated from my own body, like writing from a point of view of a body part and then starting this prayer with may I remember. And the first line for me is may I remember to breathe. And I do it every single morning. And the idea is like before, before the world comes at me, before email, before Instagram, before, you know, anything except coffee, I go, this is how I want to feel. This is what I want to remember today. This is what I want to allow. And I do, you know, I do my best to stay congruent with that. This shame can be so debilitating and often we don't even notice that or know. So I think being really, really intentional, like, how do I want to feel today? All right. I want to feel today calm, calmly confident. Let's just say I say that shame doesn't really allow for that. And then to look and and get really honest at like, how is shame stopping me? Where is it stopping me? Baby steps, baby, now what? But finding practices, you know, the prayer, coming back to your breathing, getting out of your head and into your body, whatever that means. Maybe it's going on a walk. Maybe it's whatever it means for you. Stepping outside, taking your shoes off, stepping in the grass or the sand, speaking it. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of tools and it's a day by day practice. I will die on that hill. It's day by day, day by day. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like there are days where I don't even see it. You know, I don't see shame. I don't feel it. And then there are other days where it totally consumes me and it depends on, you know, the trigger. And I think for me, it feels a little bit sometimes like whack-a-mole, you know, it's like, okay, I don't feel shame around fundraising anymore. I've done that work. It's possible I could still get triggered there, but I haven't in a really long time, but like shame around my body, still Mm -hmm. real fresh you know, I can get. And so 
it's interesting. I feel like the tools and I feel like the reason why it's so important that we are talking about these things under the umbrella of fundraising, but not exclusively for it is because nobody in my entire career in nonprofit leadership fundraising, no one ever told me that fundraising feels shameful. I certainly felt it, but no one was Mm. talking about it. Which makes the shame so because you're like I'm the one. Of course, because it thrives in in darkness and secrecy, and so that's I mean that's why the shame loss community is so beautiful because all these people are coming together and it's like you start to speak it and you feel, oh my god, all these people are it's so boring. All these people have the same exact thing and uh, you know, wow. But speaking it out loud and having someone bear witness to it, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, okay. And then, you know, really keep digging, digging. Like, so why? Huh. All right. I'm feeling shame. But and so much of it goes back, right? If not all of it to what will they think? Yeah. Which also do you think I feel like the answer to that question is also in black and white. It's like judgment in total black and white. We never think, what will they think? They might think that maybe I'm blah, blah, blah. It's like, they'll think I'm a bad person. Right, they'll right. think I'm this. They'll think it like... Completely- That's the inner a-hole, right? Yeah. And, and my, one of my favorite quotes is, it's worse than you think. They're not thinking about you at all. <laughs> I love that. I do. You got to say it all the time because it's true. Yeah. You know, right? Like, what are they going to think? They're not even thinking about us. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Another way, you know, I have exercises, I have tools, like I call it, there's something called the one and the 100, which is like if a hundred and people, a hundred people love you and they're down with your fundraiser and one doesn't and one whatever hates you and starts writing stuff about you online, who are you going to focus on? The one. And so how do we make that either not focus on the one or make that time shorter and go out into the world and keep doing what we're doing, keep fundraising, keep showing up, keep writing when we're afraid we're going to they're not going to like us. Well, I have people meditate and visualize someone who loves them, living or dead or an entity and connect to that feeling and then write themselves a letter in the voice of them. And it's a reminder of who you really are. So when you have the like, oh, but they're not going to like me, but you have this sort of protection or talisman of this letter. And it starts with, if you could see what I see in the point of view of a person who loves you. And so you have that confidence, hopefully. I'm covered in chills. And I remember reading that in your book too, but just the way you said it right now, I'm thinking about, you know, visibility, right? I've talked a lot about the fact that before I started my business in a big way, I had a visibility coach because I was so afraid of being visible and what that meant, right? That it sort of opened up the possibility for a lot of criticism. And it's true that we just attach ourselves to the one person, you know, I'll do, I'll do a thing and I'll be like, you talk too fast or you talk too loud. And I'm like, oh my God. But then all these other people are super happy. And why can't I just be like, okay, well, and now I do. Right. I'm like, listen, if I talk too fast or too loud, or you don't like me, definitely don't take my course (laughs) because the same person you see here is the same person who's inside there, but it is it feels so vulnerable at first, you know? And I feel like my resilience has grown over time. But what I love about what you said about that letter is to have someone who you are fully yourself with, who fully sees you say those words is like this 
safety net around like you actually can be completely Mm -hmm. you. I see you as completely you and it's safe. You are lovable. And the greatest thing about the exercise, if I do say so myself, is that you wrote it yourself. So it's what you already know. So there's a PS. PS, I wrote this with my own hand. So it's what I already know, comma, but maybe have forgotten, period. (laughs) Right? So how easy it is to forget. How yeah. easy it is to forget. And every single day, what do we need to do? What are the practices we need to do to come back, to remember, to get grounded so that, you know, we're not riddled with shame, so that our inner a-hole isn't the boss of us, so that all our decisions are not made from scarcity mentality or fear, right? What do I need to do every day? Yeah. To feel worthy. Yeah. And doing, I don't necessarily, it doesn't even have to be a big, it could be like, what are you thinking? Who are you spending your time with? What are you reading? You know, how are you starting your day? It's not all big action items. Yeah. Which is why I think you're such a powerful presence for people to follow on Instagram and things like that, because I just think it's such a gift to see real humans, you know, and I, I mean, I say it to all my new mom friends. I have a, my daughter's turning two in a few months and (laughs) yeah. And, and I say to people, one of the best things I feel like I did for my like mama brain was like, I unfollowed all curated moms. Oh yeah. You know, you know, you know, I have another platform called no bullshit motherhood, right? Oh my God. No, but I'm going there. (laughs) That's my other Instagram. No, no bullshit motherhood. Oh yeah. That's not my jam. All that stuff. That's why. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Right. But it's like, that's such a good point. Like what are the influences, right. That are making us feel. And when, if we're feeling not enough in whatever way, if we're hearing the, like, let's do a little. Well, it's so simple, Mallory. Why do we make it so hard? (laughs) Right. It's like so simple. This makes me feel terrible when I keep, okay, then stop doing it. But you know, we're human and we're like, I'm going to torture myself and then feel bad and complain about it and do it again. Yeah. Or we don't even think we deserve to have the space because we're shooting all over ourselves. So we're like, well, I should be able to follow that person and her perfect meals that she's making for her 12 person family after work, because I should be able to do that too. And it's like, says who? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so what were you 34 when you had your baby? 33? Yeah, I don't know. I was 41. I am so glad for whatever reason, I never got caught up in that. And maybe part of it too was because I was like, I already knew I couldn't compare. I'm like, I live in a one bedroom. I'm not a, sh-, you know, so I was already, but I mean, with other stuff, definitely, I have my, my demons. But with that, with the mom stuff, for some reason, it's, it's very liberating, I'll say. Yeah, it has been for me too. I really haven't, I mean, knock on wood, but I've always almost made it two years with literally no mom shame. I have not felt not nothing. And I think it's because I've gone into it, having kind of already done this audit around what are the things that like support me. And so did you call it an audit? Yeah. Oh, I like that. (laughs) You know, what you were just listing all those things. What are you saying to yourself? Who are you following? Who are you spending time with? Whenever something doesn't feel good in my life, I'll do a little audit around like, okay, this thing keeps feeling sticky. Why? Like what what? sign are you? Sagittarius. Interesting. When's your birthday? November 26th. Okay. What about you? Sagittarius. Oh, when's your birthday? December 12th. Oh, that's funny. In some ways, I could see that. And in other ways, I was like, you're like a Virgo. You're very, you know, with the black and white and the very like, even the audit, you know, the the (laughs) reference to like, I was like, she's like either a Capricorn or a Virgo. I'm not even like an astrology person, really. I don't know why. But I, I also could see the sad stuff. I think that's a really valuable 
tool, though, what you're talking about, this audit, actually, that's like, okay, what's working? Let me double down on that. What's not? Let's, if possible, stop. And it's not always possible at the moment, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, my job isn't working. Let's just say, well, I'm, we're not here over here like, okay, go quit right now. <laughs> no, but get honest about it. Totally. But even doing it and calling it the audit allows it. it to not be me. The audit. It's not about me, right? It's not like I'm this. It's like I'm surrounded by all of these things that are influencing how I feel about this, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what helps pull me out of the black and white. I can't do this or I can't that it's like, no, it's like here are all the influences in my life. Some of it's going to be working. Some of it's not going to be working, but it almost, you know, in yoga, one of the most amazing things that yoga has supported me around is like the cultivating the witness. And so like, I feel like I've used some of these tools to pull myself out of being the person that everything is happening to versus, okay, let's observe what's actually surrounding me right now. Exactly. Well, and that's why I said, you know, after my friend died and I, and I slipped into this sort of depression in the last few weeks and scarcity mindset, and you look at the whole, right. And then you audit and you go, all right, this happened. And then I don't necessarily believe in the word balance, at least in my own life. I have never found it, but I balanced ish. <laughs> and you look at like, where am I not so balanced right now? Oh, well, I'm not sleeping. I've been drinking too much. I'm having 18 cups of coffee a day. My friend just died. You know, and there's all these things. I'm not starting the day with my morning prayer and I'm scrolling Instagram for 17.800 hours a day. And you go, oh, well, no wonder. It's not like a random happenstance thing. It's the whole, it's all these things that support us in feeling grounded and feeling like our best self and feeling powerful and feeling capable, expansive. All these things that are supporting us are not in play right now. So audit. Okay. Huh. All right. And then not shaming ourselves for it or going, I can't believe I let myself get here again. Nope. 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 Now what? Now what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have choices, you have control, maybe not over everything at the same moment, but definitely around some of the things. And No, and that's a really good point. You know, where in my life am I trying to control something that I can't possibly control? And that would probably cure like 80% of all of our misery. Yes. Yeah. And then I ask myself that question or some form of it. And then I'm like, okay, where do I need to surrender? Where am I? I mean, that's my word right now. Yeah, baby. Surrender. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been my word for motherhood. People ask me, what's your motherhood word? Surrender. Surrender, surrender, surrender. I love that. Mine, what my word for a long time has been ease, but I like surrender too. Let's, let's surrender and ease. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. In terms of fundraising too, it's like really. I love the word allow. Let's add that too. Surrender, allow, ease. But it's really about trust. It's like trusting. All right, just trusting and surrender. It's going to be what it's going to be. And I trust. I allow for the flow. <laughs> That's not easy necessarily. It can be. Mm-hmm. And it, it isn't easy. certainly isn't easy in a scarcity mindset. It's, you know? no, it's impossible. It's- like it truly just telling you from experience, even last week, it's so hard when you're in that place to be like, yeah, I'm just going to allow it to flow because your inner a-hole is like, oh, you better not. You're about to be, ho- you're about to be houseless. You're going to be on the street. What? Yeah. But with certainty, you're definitely That's the thing. Gonna it's like, I'm going to wait, I'm going to cancel one client because I'm feeling burnout. And, and, and from that, I'm going to go to being houseless. No. Right. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. And, and it's so 
God, it's just so loud when we get into it. And there's another episode with Dr. Ethan Cross that talks about chatter. And so there's a lot of alignment here and he gives some really good tips. And he's been doing scientific research at the University of Michigan. And he has some great strategies for like how to pull yourself out of the spiral. One of them being to use, he calls it distant self-talk and to use your name and like some sort of forward motion that like when we're really spiraling and we can't see the light and we're deep in that black and white thinking to be like, Mallory, you have been here before, you know. I do it all the time. Me too. Yeah. But it's amazing to see the research around what that does to your brain so fast. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Jennifer, I I mean, I'm, we all talk to ourselves, you know, we just need to admit it. And I talk out loud to myself without shame. Yeah. Jennifer, come on. Jenna, you know, constantly. (laughs) I love that. Well, okay. I could talk to you literally all day, but before we forget, I want you to tell us all the ways that people can find you because I would love, I was going to say we should do yoga for fundraisers, but instead let's just have all the fundraisers come to yoga with me and with you. So, but tell us all the things. Yeah. So, you know, because this will probably air in August or September, my retreats are coming back in September. I have Italy or France. So reach out to me if you're interested in coming to either of those with me, my on being human retreats, and I turn them virtual. So it's been so magical. The next virtual on being human is in October. And I have the shame loss course. And I'm on an app called Mind, M-I-N-E-D. It's like a self-help app. It's amazing. It's free. And what else? I teach yoga just a little bit these days, one class a week. But you can find everything. Instagram is where I hang the most, Jen Pasteloff or jenniferpasteloff.com. And yeah, and when I'm a coach, I'm a coach. I'm really busy right now. But if you want to get on the wait list, do it. (laughs) And I will put links to all of this below the episode and everything so they can find you. And then in true nonprofit fundraising fashion, I just wanted to invite you. Is there a nonprofit organization that you would love to highlight? Yes. So my friend, Natalie Weaver, her daughter, Sophia passed. And I give, I give a scholarship. It happened by accident in quotes, but not really to a woman who's lost a child or many women. It seems to be that I do. And Natalie was meant to come and the retreat was canceled in COVID. It's called the Alexander Fund. It was named after a baby Alexander who passed away. Anyway, Natalie was meant to come. I offered her the scholarship and then COVID. And then she was going to come this September and she can't during those dates. But her nonprofit is called Sophia's Voice. And Sophia's Voice supports children and adults with disabilities as well as caregivers and disability rights activists. They provide financial support for medical equipment not covered by insurance, medical bills and debt, medication, appointments, respite, advocacy support, and various other medical-related expenses. They also raise awareness to normalize facial differences in profound disabilities and work to hold social media giants accountable for protecting people with facial differences and disabilities online. She started Sophia's Voice in honor of her sweet Sophia, hashtag sweet Sophia, and will continue it in her memory. Even though she couldn't speak, she did have a voice and it was a powerful one. Natalie is so proud of the impact she's had and continue to have on the world. It would make her so proud to know she was making a difference. Natalie promised her she would continue the work that we started together. So it's sophias-voice.com. It's really remarkable. I mean, 
I remember following her even before Sophia passed because she was a huge advocate. People would always say hateful, horrible, hateful, hateful things. And I remember following her on Twitter. And then somehow we became friends, as I do. And I offered her the scholarship. And she said yes. And that was like a year and a half ago or so. And I just the work she's doing is remarkable. So sophiasvoice.com. Oh my gosh, I'll put all that information as well. And I'm just I'm so grateful for you. Thank Thank you. you. Let me know how I can support and keep doing the great work you're doing. Keep putting down shame. Keep losing shame. You know, you don't have to carry it. You don't. Yeah. No, thank you for being a model of that and for being so open and transparent and authentic and just showing, you know, leading by example. I'm really proud of the work you're doing. So keep doing it. All right. Oh my gosh. That's such an honor. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Really important. Thank Thank you. It was an honor. Thanks for asking me. There was way too much in this episode for me to try to wrap it into a few lines, but the high-level takeaway for me is this. Scarcity does not create possibility. That's just the plain and simple truth, and the nonprofit sector is baked in scarcity mindset. But the good news is that we do not have to stay there. There are so many resources to help us move out of it. If you want to walk away with the hottest tips and tricks from this episode and how you can fundamentally change the way you fundraise using mind-blowing hacks like these, head on over to MalloryErickson.com slash podcast for the detailed show notes and a lot more tips related to these topics for my 15 years of fundraising. Most importantly, thank you for spending this time with us today. I'm so grateful for all of my listeners, especially you and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you visit my website, you'll also find more information about Jen there, including a link to jenniferpasteloff.com so you can learn more about her incredible work and find out how you can work with her in one of her amazing programs. And also you should definitely start coming to her yoga class with me. But if you don't do that and you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under whatthefundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you next week. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.